Welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. In this podcast, we feature professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences to help learn from the experience of others. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast. I'm your host, Dave West, and today... We have with us one of our professional Scrum trainers, PST, Sander Durr from the Netherlands. Uh, he works with one of our partners, one of our PTNs, one of our training organizations that work with Scrum.org called Exibia. Welcome to the podcast, Sander. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. How are you? I'm, I'm good, actually. I'm good. And it's great to be talking to you. And actually, um, this whole conversation is inspired, or the sort of genesis of this conversation was... Well, we had a, a conversation recently about leadership and some of the experiences you're having. So maybe we can tee this up to our, our audience. Talk a little bit about the, 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 this challenge that you're seeing around leadership. Yeah, I've seen this happening multiple times before and not just on the, the, the conversations that we had before, uh, but in multiple different areas where very traditional management that is not necessarily open to change and feels like Scrum is maybe more for the teams is not that supportive, um, becomes more of a lagging factor than a leading factor. While they should be supportive and they could be in multiple areas, whether that's going to be setting the the area for psychological safety or embracing that uh, change in general. But if those kind of factors are not in place or misunderstood, it becomes really hard for Scrum teams to actually thrive. Whereas uh, Scrum itself is an organizational change and not just for the people in the team. And I think you're well aware of that is a very <laughs> tricky thing to work with. So let me see if I, I, I get the crux. Uh, yeah, it is something that I've seen, but let me see if I, just by repeating it back to you. So ultimately what you're seeing in some of your clients and some of the people you're talking to in the leadership roles and that traditional management roles in particular, middle management is that they don't think Scrum's got anything to do with them. Therefore, ultimately, not that they're in the team working on the work, but they create an environment where the team finds it quite challenging. You mentioned emotional, uh, you know, sort of intelligence, EQ, that sort of creating that psychological safety, creating that, um, that, that space for the team. You want to talk a little bit more about, well, one, did I get it right, Sander? That was probably, is that what you're sort of focused on? I think that's an impeccable <laughs> crux. Yes. Surprisingly impeccable is probably what you're <laughs> wanting to say there. Your words, yeah. not mine. Yeah. yeah. So then, okay. So let's, so what are the, what happens when this happens, when you've got middle management in particular that ultimately don't think Scrum's got anything to do with them, still treat the team like they've always treated the team and don't do and don't do anything don't change at all what what happens what's the negative impact of that do you, do you think multiple things but the most detrimental thing what i've seen happening uh, that's most consistent as well is that people don't feel safe anymore either to to try or to bring up new ideas or to be open how they feel or you know feedback is one of the most important elements within scrum a feedback goes both ways. So whether that's within the team or to management setting the environment, they should be able to say, hey, I see this happening and it has X and Y impact on us as a team or me personally. But if this is not a two-way street anymore, then they'll be held back and they'd be kept at bay. 
and therefore their ability to deliver a proper done increment is being minimalized, which is the whole purpose of Scrum. So I think that has, uh, has a lot to do with misunderstood role of leadership, how that should look like, what leadership means, because leadership is not the same as management, right? Uh, it could be, but it's not limited to just management. Uh, but therefore, the, the, the ability to deliver a proper done increment is being decreased. Therefore, they're shooting themselves in the foot, yet wonder where the shot came from. So, uh, so let's just riff on on, on psychological safety for, for a second. And that uh, trusting the team, creating that environment, where the team feels that they have the support to challenge certain practices, work in different ways, uh, approach the problem differently, you know, work together differently, engage with outside people differently. So, why do you think? I mean, it seems very sensible to trust your team, right? And it seems very sensible that you, uh, you know, on, on, that that you would provide safety for those teammates to be trusted in that. So why do, doesn't why don't they do that? What what's the what's the issue? Do you think really, Sander? I think a whole lot of fear, whether that's fear of not being seen as the manager of all, the fixer of all solutions, or just the fear of the unknown in general, and. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those recovered management bashers because I used to point fingers at management and say, you're you're the issue. Until the point that I was recording a, a podcast with Jeff Gothelf, and he, uh, he told me, we, we got to remember that ever since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we've been training managers and bosses to do exactly that, to manage their people and to be responsible for the success of these kind of products and projects or whatever you want. And they're used to being the single wrenchable neck and now after say 300 years since the beginning of the industrial revolution we're trying to revert everything that they have been that we've been training managers to do and they're not used to that managers are not used to that and relating that back to middle management as you mentioned middle, middle management in my experience gets to that position either by experience in their content in their field of content or uh, because they're being promoted because else they would leave the company. Therefore, they're not trained to be managers, so they don't know how to deal with that, yet they're also not offered the right levels of support. So there's a whole lot of, there's a whole new realm of failure and misunderstandings. And I don't think they feel psychological safe themselves, but they also don't get the, the right tools to be equipped to deal with the situations. I. I mean, yes, it's it's funny. I, I I also used to bash the amorphous blob of middle management, um, and then realized as you know, I've become more uh, aware of the people that I've, I'm I'm working with and, and talking to that that they're in between a rock and a hard place in many ways. I mean, some of it, some of their fear is well founded because of the environment in which you know the the whole organization operates. Um, and senior leaders are driving down, you know, when will it be done? How much will it cost? Why are you not delivering, you know, all the time hitting them? It's your fault. What have you done, et cetera. Um, and, and also the, the, the ridiculous lack of professional training and support that many, many middle managers have it's a travesty, really. You get exactly as you said, Hannah. You you get really good at a job, 
you hit your pay top or your pay scale top or your position top and then or you just get promoted because you're really good at your job and then suddenly you've got a different job and even worse you're good at the thing that the people that work for you do and you want to tell them exactly how how to to do that so how do you how do you fix that because that seems these seems like massive systemic society or you know sort of career-y type problems how do you fix that i think it begins with awareness but maybe this is a a question to bounce back at you because you're a ceo and a product owner how <laughs> do you deal with this as a leader yourself i i i'm poorly probably sander you know it's very <laughs> it's sort of like cobbler's children you know they sort of very bad shoes you know but uh, i think ultimately uh, for me it's about clearly articulate to focus on goals and outcomes and to provide an environment that encourages the teams to work towards those goals and outcomes and to continually focus on that rather than the work and uh, it is very tricky in fact funny you should say that well i recently went to a sprint review and as um, as the guy that funds it it was really hard for my feedback not to have ridiculous impact. I appreciate that. I realize that. Also, as the person that hires everybody and pays their salaries, I'm like in a really odd position often because feedback could be constrained, you know, it could be actually like, oh, I've got to do that. My boss told me. And really, often feedback is really just, this is my perspective, what I saw. You may see a different perspective. There's no such thing as the truth. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then, of course, in the emotions of a sprint review or a daily or whatever, I end up forgetting it and and, and have to then fix things afterwards. But ultimately, it's about understanding the the impact of my position and role on the events and on the interactions and collaborations with the people that that's that's what i tried to spend a lot of time worrying and so i ask more questions than i tell and obviously you're demonstrating that now by asking a, a really good open-ended questions i spend a lot of time reminding people of the hat or the stance that i'm bringing to the conversation and if in doubt, I, I resort to um, to Scrum. I kind of just emphasize the outcomes, the importance of the sprint goal, the product goal, and those things kind of help. Did, did that really answer your question? Oh my, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning you. Stop that. <laughs> but um, did that answer your question, Sander? And, and, it does. And yeah, make sense? There, it does. Uh, there's only one thing that I missed that I've Ooh. seen you actually do because you know, we, we, I just came back from the face-to-face -face in Boston where we, where, where we spent a couple of days, right? And what I've seen you do, what I miss with many leaders in their position is at the point that you don't know, you're going to be open and say, I don't know. I need help. I need your input. Setting that, um, that's leading by example too. You can be vulnerable about that. You're not, even though some people like to be, you don't know everything. You can't know everything. You can't do everything. And you need other people for that too. And you got to be able to say, I don't know. Maybe I messed up. Um, I'm sort of scared here. What do you guys think? And if you set that stage, that's going to rub off on people uh, on a good way, in a good way. 
where people feel more treated like humans and like they they can bring their emotions to the field too and say maybe this is not working for me as i hoped it would um it has this effect on me but if you put that in in place it has a different it creates a different dynamic and i think that is what lacks a lot compassion and empathy so the being vulnerable is a really interesting thing because to some extent I, I think you're exactly right and you know and I, I i try to do that though sometimes my ego and my arrogance get gets in the way and, and that's just a, a, the nature of humanity and particularly when you're you know uh, the ceo of scrum.org master of all you know i put i see but uh, but the, the the thing about being you know sort of like being vulnerable being humble and, and the like i think is is crucial however there is a flip side to that that we have to be mindful of and i am very mindful of sometimes safety uh, is is at many levels one of them is to is to tr is to know that the person that's ultimately going to pay my salary and protect it will be there for me you have to trust your parents you know and and so you have to balance that that need for vulnerability and, and answering questions of i don't know with a very clear focus on i know what the mission is i know what our purpose is i know what we're trying to achieve i don't know how to do it always i have some experience i have some ideas i can share but it's balancing those two things and getting it right. And sometimes you'll get it wrong. So what I try to still do, and, and again, this is sort of real, is, is focus on that, those outcomes, focus on that mission. I accept that there's gotta be a lot of vulnerability about how we do it and the solutions because they are gonna be variable. And I accept that when we learn something new, we could change the mission, but I gotta believe that, you know, to use a sort of analogy and we're gonna climb that mountain, we're gonna build that bridge. And then we realized that we don't need the bridge. Okay, we realized we didn't need that bridge. So we're gonna build this pontoon system or whatever, I don't know. Anyway, now I'm, I'm stuck. Does, does that make <laughs> sense? I mean, what it do you say? It does a whole lot. And uh, it has to do with what you mentioned on, uh, on the ego as well. It's an interesting thing because as soon as you say, my ego or my arrogance gets in the way, that lowers the bar already. Like you're, you're aware of certain things and that puts you in a different light. You know, if sometimes people are arrogant and they are aware that they're arrogant, but they don't want to do anything about it, or sometimes they're just unaware of their their own arrogance, and then and then it becomes a challenge to make someone aware, and what their imp the impact is of those kind of things, because um, it can be very daunting for someone who has less self esteem to speak up to someone who is either very overcompensating for their own imposter syndrome and become very arrogant about it or just be very uh, antisocial to put it like that. So it's a very delicate balance. And I think that's where the scrum master plays a, a, an essential role in setting that, um, in supporting to set that environment of psychological safety, right? To make other people aware also of the scrum values, but also take the empirical approach that this is not going to, yeah. You want to, to chip in? No, I was just, just going to agree, actually. But I also, I think you hit on something there that I think, I don't know if our listeners, and they, I'm sure they all know this, but it's about transparency, right? You know, and, and being transpa transparent, not just about the product, but about the environment. So somehow making that 
manager, you know, in my case, Dave, we, we have a, an awesome Scrum Master, Owen. And, you know, he, he does a really good job of making my behaviors transparent by some sort of either a cause and effect or some, and he, and he, and he, and he presents it to me and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, and he does it relatively quickly after, after it happens. So it's still fresh in our mind. And I think that, that transparency thing, Sandra, is, is, is super important when you're helping leaders get out of their own way. That means that Owen, I'm assuming Owen here is very much aware that you'll take that feedback uh, for something good and not necessarily for being detrimental or just to be picky or to nitpick or to, to put you down because there's a there's a mutual level of trust. How does that resonate? Yes, exactly. It's all about trust, really. And, and you know, he, and he's, and he does it very well. He doesn't do it, he doesn't, tell, you know, obviously he doesn't, does it with respect. He does it with you know, humor, uh, he, you know, these are some of the things that I find makes it easy for me to, um, to receive the feedback. I, I, when, when feedback is confront, when it comes from an angry place, <laughs> I find it much harder to receive. And I don't know if that's universally true. Some people might naturally, you know, you have to shout at your kids to make them hear, you know, but, um, if it is, for me, if it's if it's wrapped with humor and respect, then you bet. I want to I want to be better tomorrow. I want to be better today. I want to be better in ten minutes. It's funny that you mention mention kids specifically because, uh, a yes, um, I uh, you know I have three kids, uh, yep. seven and and twins of four, and yes, sometimes you have to shout to make yourself hurt, um, but this is I refer to this. Uh, the whole implementation of Scrum and the Agile mindset often as teaching my kids to ride their, their bikes, which they're now doing. They're my twins. They're, they're learning to ride a bicycle. And, you know, you can give them a bicycle without training wheels and see a grandma's good luck. Bye. It's going to be a horrible experience. But if you, you become the organizational training wheels and support them until the point that they are, they feel confident that they can do this on their own, but gradually guide them throughout on multiple levels, right? Not just the team, but also on leadership, on setting the, the right environment, um, on the sea level, wherever, anything that applies to the success of the Scrum team, then you got to be that organizational training wheels. And it's a, it's a funny thing, because today I was uh, with my, my, my youngest of the two twins, uh, <laughs> of, of my twins, you know, she was scared to ride the bicycle on her own, while my other one, Nova, she just took off. And the only thing that I did to Luna, so she's uh, she's the, the one who was having difficulties, I just put my finger on her neck and I didn't balance her out, but she took off on her own. And the only thing I had to do is just put my finger on her neck. So she felt support, even though I didn't support her at all, just the, the, the perceived feeling of that she is supported just made, made her believe in herself. And that applies so much to organizations as well. They got to be aware and they have to know that even if something is being messed up or it, not, it doesn't go as smooth uh, as they would like to have it, they're still being supported in whatever decisions that they make, even though the outcomes not, might not be the most successful or the most desired ones, they still have the sense of that safety that there will be support when things go south. I think it's it, it. I think it's super important. I I agree, and I I probably could do a much better job of that. Um, when thing you you tend to only hear 
from some leaders when things are going wrong. You tend to only hear from some leaders when they've heard something or whatever. You know, that sort of email, hey, would love to catch up. If you've got an environment where that is the case, then I think you're, it, it ultimately isn't an environment that supports many of the values that you're talking about. So I actively try, you know, whether it's on Slack or whatever, you know, after a sprint review, I mean, it's random and I'm not as good as this as I should be. I reach out to the teammates, say, hey, that, that was an awesome sprint review. Thanks for sharing that stuff. I learned a lot. You know, and, and you know, I'm not lying. I, I tend to always learn a lot because, you know, I'm probably asleep when they told me what they were going to do before or something. But the, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always learning. And so I, I really, really do that. The other thing that I do, which I think everybody should do, but I think it's important is, you know, when you're on a sprint review and we've all got back to back meetings and we're all busy as all hell. Right. But don't be doing email actually give them the attention do some active listening you know even if it's just for a percentage of it you know i you know turn your camera on you know those sort of things can be very 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 minor but they can really show hey i believe in this i you know i i i'm supportive and i think those sort of things can can really help um though you have to remind yourself sometimes to do them and that and, and again a scrum master can be really important there. Do you, do you agree that sort of like, it, you don't just hear from a leader or a manager when things are going wrong is a very important part of psychological safety and, and, and trust and support. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think also, you know, we're now discussing the Scrum Master being that catalyst of change and, uh, you know, but even Scrum Masters need someone to, to be their mirror. You as a CEO need someone to reflect as well. It's 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 a continuous dynamic between multiple people. And there's not just a single one who's involved with this and ensuring that this change happens. Scrum masters need to have their their mirrors too. Hmm. Um, so I think that's that's a very small but important nuance that even yeah. the leaders, even the people who are driving the change, need to have levels of reflection too. I mean, the therapist sometimes need a, needs a therapist too. I think they, they all do, don't they? I think that's kind of a rule, I think I heard. Um, I maybe I that's know. just in America, just to grow the amount of therapy being done. I, I don't know, which would be a great business model. Every therapist has to, <laughs> it's like almost like a Ponzi scheme. Isn't it? Yeah, but no, so... Sustain ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, and if I, was, if I was hiring you, I'd say, what are you saying? You, well, we're going to have to pay for somebody to provide support for you? Where does it end, Sander? Where does it end? But no, but I agree. I think the, 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 having that key reflection moment and, and being open to it um, isn't always easy, but I think is, is, a, is, a, is a, crucial, a, a crucial thing. So, so we're coming to the end of the, 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 this, this very interesting conversation. We try to keep these short and to the point so somebody doesn't get ridiculously bored by listening to 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 the two of us waffling on um is there anything you know so if if i'm listening to this podcast is the one two five things that i can do better to uh, particularly if i'm a manager or if i'm working with managers to to sustain this change to drive this change is there anything that you would leave our listeners with sander oh that's a hard question 
I know I that's think, that's why I get paid the big bucks. Yes, well, <laughs> you earn them. Uh, I think that if you're going to go and do this, my my own therapist always says annoyingly right, and I guess that's what I'm paying for, as she said. If you want someone else to change, you got to start with yourself. That's one. I hate him for that, but he's absolutely right. Two, I think this is a more practical thing, but I've noticed we've been doing this uh, quite frequently, but it's super easy to do and very helpful is start doing the TRIZ exercise coming from liberating structures on the levels of psychological safety because it's, it makes things very actionable and therefore more tangible. Uh, I think that's uh, the, the main thing. Also be very self-aware of what you personally are doing to display the desired levels of psychological safety. And this relates back to, to my first point as well. Um, but be open about how you feel. You know, it seems to be such a societal uh, agreement that when someone, when you ask me how I'm doing, I, either I say I'm fine or I'm doing great. Other than that, there is no right answer. Because if you say, well, I'm not having the best day today, it's like, hmm. You know, so be open to these kind of basic human needs, I would say. I, yes, I think I think that, that that they're great words of wisdom. Um, sometimes the noise of the day gets in the way, right? And it's stepping back and thinking, "Hey, I've I've got ten minutes between calls. Um, I'm just going to reach out and ping somebody and say, hey." How do you think that sprint? Yeah. Never start with how do you think that sprint review went? Because that's automatically implying that you think it went badly and said, <laughs> hey, I really enjoyed that sprint review. How, you know, did did you? You know, so, so if, if you do lead with a question like that, make sure it starts with positive because otherwise you're you are leading the audience a little bit. Um, or, you know, I, I'm really I, I loved the, the points that you made on X or Y or whatever. And I think that little things like that as a manager can certainly, certainly help. They go a long way to, to building those bridges. And at the end of the day, we're only as successful as our teams. And, you know, if we can't get our teams effectively working together to deliver valuable increments, to incrementally progress our our product goals, then then we're doing something wrong. So, Sandra, this was really, really interesting. I, I certainly enjoyed continuing the conversation that we had uh, that set the scene for this. And, and um, you know, I'd just like to say, ladies and gentlemen, for our listeners today, this was the Scrum.org Community Podcast. Uh, my name's Dave West, and I was very fortunate to be here with um, one of our professional Scrum trainers, Sandra Durr, uh, from the Netherlands, who works with uh, one of our great partners, Exibia. So, um, Thank you for taking the time today, um, Sander. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure talking to you. And thank you listeners for listening. Hopefully we didn't bore you too much. And remember, it's, uh, it's all about creating this environment and being true to yourself. So good luck, enjoy, and uh, hopefully listen to other podcasts. Bye-bye.